Is baseball's arbitration process flawed? Find out next. You are Locked On Yankees, your daily New York Yankees podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Thursday, Yankee fans. Welcome to Locked On Yankees, which is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Stacey Gotsoulias. Welcome to the show. If you're new, thank you for joining us. If you're a returning listener, welcome back, and I hope you all enjoyed today's show. I'd also like to thank you for making Locked On Yankees your first listen every day. We're free and available on all audio platforms. If you're watching on YouTube, you know what to do. I tell you all the time, you know what to do. Also, hit the thumbs up button to like the videos and the bell so you're notified as soon as our videos go live. So is the arbitration process for Major League Baseball flawed? We're going to talk about it because Ryan Thompson of the Rays wrote a very candid thread on Twitter about his experience going to arbitration with the Rays. He ultimately lost, and it was very eye-opening. I think Yankee fans got a taste of how arbitration was the year that Dellen Batansis lost and there were some things said about him and he wasn't very happy about the things that were said during arbitration because they basically tore him apart even though he had a good year and but that's how it works and we're going to go through this Twitter thread that Ryan Thompson wrote because I found it very interesting. We also have spring training notes and my brother wrote an email to Rob Manfred about expansion and um realignment for 2027 and 2028 and Rob Manfred wrote back nothing big but he wrote back so we're gonna talk about my brother's ideas which he's had these ideas for nearly 20 years and uh, he I believe he wrote into the New York Post one year and they published it maybe 2004 I want to say they published his ideas so yeah, I've been wanting to talk about this for a really long time. He won't come on the show, which is understandable because he's this isn't his thing. But he allowed, he gave me permission to read his ideas that he has for this stuff. And I think it's fascinating. And I think you guys might think it's fascinating as well because it is a pretty interesting idea. So let's start with Ryan Thompson, reliever from the Rays. And it's just really eye-opening what they use to rate these guys and yeah so he said my thoughts concerning arbitration i want to make clear that although i lost my case there is absolutely no ill will towards the rays as they were as professional and respectful as possible considering the circumstances this is merely a review of the process okay criteria summary number one platform year contribution two career and consistency contribution Three, record of past compensation. Four, comparable baseball salaries. Five, existence of any physical or mental defects. Six, recent performance record of the club. Our approach to the hearing was to say, stay as strict to the criteria as possible. My concern was that the three arbitrators have an unknown knowledge of the, ba- the game of baseball. Maybe they play fantasy baseball or maybe they call scoring runs points. No one knows. We had to assume that the arbitrators were savvy enough to understand basic rules and statistics. I believe that assumption was incorrect. 
The Rays did an excellent job discrediting holds and leverage while targeting me on blown saves, lack of left-handed hitting usage, and a Fangraphs metric called meltdowns. Blown saves is not a stat indicative of a middle reliever's poor performance. A blown save can happen with no earned runs in the seventh inning or in extra innings from the ghost runner scoring. BS are for all... Wait, what? Oh, BS are for those attempting to record a save and fail. BS meaning blown save, not the other thing that the other thing that BS stands for. My career batting average against is 214 against left-handed hitters. My lack of usage against left-handed hitters, which is as high as Jalen Beeks, by the way, isn't from a lack of quality, but via team projections. Meltdowns is not an official MLB stat. I've never heard of it and maybe never will again. We could have scoured the web for positive terminology, but stuck to the criteria. The use of buzzwords by the team without a doubt swayed the arbitrators. Blown saves, meltdowns, and protected from left-handed hitters created a bias. Brilliant. Our main focus was comparisons. Logically, this made the most sense. If we prove I'm above the midpoint of 1.1, then 1.2 is the logical choice. He was asking for $1.2 million in arbitration. The comps we chose were Gratterall at 1.225, Bedrodian at 1.1, Stoutmont, I'm not sure who that is, at 1.050. Now he said that Gratterall and myself were the most comparable, which is why we filed at 1.2. So he put all his stats. They are very comparable to Gratterall. And the arbitrators decided that I was worth $225,000 less than Gratterall. So he goes through all the guys. I'm not going to go through everything. So he goes through all the stats, compares the other guys, and says how much he's making less than them. Okay. So then he says, the Rays, of course, used my IL time as an arguing point, but placed a high emphasis on timing of injury, which is not in the criteria. Missing playoffs in two season, seasons hurts me against Gratterall, which is why we filed at 1.2, not 1.225, but should put me even further ahead of Bedrosian and Stoutmont, for they have zero postseason experience to my nine games with 1.93 ERA and three holes. The argument against was a more emotional ploy that relied less on logic or facts, but was excellently put together. Our case potentially made unwise assumptions on the arbitrator's understanding of statistics and the logic of being over the midpoint. So basically what he's saying is the arbitrators don't really know baseball. The Rays were doing everything in their power to cut this guy down, which is basically what the arbitration experience is like. I don't know how he doesn't have ill will towards the Rays. The Rays don't pay these guys anything anyway. And they're being, I guess, stingy. Is that the word? Over $200,000? He said, the biggest issue with this process to me is that the arbitrators get to make whatever decision they come to, but with no explanation or defense of the decision. In any other legal case, the decision is public. This, for some reason, is very hidden and secretive. If the process is created in order for fairness, then why don't we learn the laws of the land? In some sense, we were shooting in the dark, not knowing what the arbitrators leaned into and what they disregarded. These understandings matter. Makes sense. And he... Ended it with, 
Considering my player comps and middle reliever statistics for PY and career were undeniable, they must have chosen the other side for reasons not stated in the criteria, which is a dangerous thought for the process. If that is the case, they should be held accountable. So I guess he's blaming the arbitrators more than the Rays, because I guess that's how you go in. Because, as I said, Dylan Batances had a very contentious arbitration hearing, and I believe Randy Levine was the one that was talking against him when he was looking to make money after one of the better years that he had and they weren't paying him a lot to begin with but you know he helped the Yankees out a lot with being a really great reliever so tell me what your thoughts are on the whole arbitration process and do you agree that the arbitrators should kind of have a knowledge of baseball I kind of get that they want someone who is is impartial but doesn't it seem like uh the majority of these cases the players never win (laughs) So how is that how is that fair to the players if they go into this knowing that they probably can't win because the arbitrators are going to side with the owners? Right? I don't know. I Let me know what you think in the comments because I I want to know how you guys feel about this. I think the whole thing is ridiculous. And again, it's the Rays. They don't pay these guys anyway. So the fact that they were trying to really not pay this guy is not good. It's not good. So in a moment, we have some spring training stuff to talk about, including Nestor Cortez throwing live BP and feeling better than expected, and all the other guys throwing VP, and Anthony Volpe trying to make the most out of a cool opportunity. But first, the midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scorers and threes drained. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thanks for making Locked On Yankees your first listen every day. Make your second listen, Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. So Nestor Cortez is feeling better. Yay. Or feeling better than expected because, you know, when he first injured his hamstring, they were afraid that maybe he'd be missing a lot more time. But hopefully he will not. He faced five batters without incident and worked with sharp command while mixing in his changeup. He said, I feel like the bullpens, you don't really use your legs as much as you would in a live game. So I think that was the biggest hurdle for me going out there and actually being on a real mound facing live hitters. They're going to swing off you, so you're probably going to use your legs a little more. And he said, I thought I was actually a lot better than I thought I would be, just because in my first live batting practice, I didn't know how my leg was going to react with the intensity and facing those guys, so I thought it was a lot better than expected. Aaron Boone said, his bullpens have been really sharp, and then his stuff in command, that's as sharp as it gets right there. He mixed in a good changeup, which was encouraging to see, really good stuff from him. 
And then he said the hamstring keeps responding. He's still in there finishing his conditioning stuff. He ran and did some agility stuff on the field and he threw. It responded really well, which is good to see. Hell yeah, it is because he was the best pitcher on the staff last season and we need him. <laughs> you know, I know some people were um, mad about Montas. Oh, I didn't get to mention this because we were having Wi-Fi issues last night, which was why there was no show. Every time I tried, things were freezing and nothing was working. My phone wasn't working. It was just, it was a mess. Everything seems to be fixed right now. So, so Montas just needed a scope, didn't need to touch the road rotator cuff. So he won't be able to start a throwing program for 12 weeks, but I guess that's better than him being out the entire year, right? So nothing but good things so far. Again, if you're not watching on YouTube, I, I keep crossing my fingers because I get very nervous about this stuff. There's a left-hander in camp named Matt Crook, who also threw live BP, and he has caught Aaron Boone's eye. He was selected by the Marlins with the 35th overall pick back in 2013 and then the fourth round by the Giants in 2016. Now, he played for Scranton last year. He was 10-7 and with a 4.09 ERA with 155 strikeouts in 138 and two-third innings last season. And then he was added to the Yankees' 40-man roster. Boone said, He's a real problem for lefties. At the end of last season, we were seriously considering him for the postseason because of what he brought to the table. He has enough weapons to be a starter. It's that next level of command that's going to allow him to find a spot. He's an interesting guy. Hmm. Yeah, sounds good to me. Jonathan Luizaga is going to be playing for Team Nicaragua, who's making their debut in the World Baseball Classic. And Boone is okay with him going, but he's also concerned because, you know, there's a potential of injury, which is, you know, why they wouldn't let Luis Severino do it. <laughs> I understand from that standpoint, Luis Severino has injury history, although so does Luizaga. But Severino... <sighs> I'm not going to say Loisaga is not important because he is important, but Luis Severino is more important, especially with the Frankie Montas injury. So, yeah, Boone said he's had some hiccups from an injury standpoint over the years, but you were also really excited for him and you understand how important or how it's important with the sense of pride in him wanting to get prepared as best as he can. You want him to get there safely and built up in a good spot. The one thing he has done is I feel like he's really sharp now, really throwing the ball well. Loisaga had a very strong 2021. He had a 2.17 ERA, 18 holds, 69 strikeouts in 70 and two-third innings. He was really amazing. And then he kind of fell back in 2022 because of that right shoulder strain, and he finished with a 4.13 ERA. And he had gotten off to a slower start, but he picked things up later in the season and looked a lot better. And when Jonathan Luizaga is on, he's one of the better relievers in baseball. So let's just hope he stays healthy. <laughs> Makes it back from the WBC healthy and can be a big contributor from the start of the season through the end of the season. Now, lots of videos of the guys facing the pitchers, which is good. You know, it's good to see all these... Uh, guys doing their thing. Plus, there was a triple-A ump 
helping them acclimate to the pitch timer, because I know I joked when I was talking about <laughs> the new rules, how I thought that there was going to be some sort of a learning curve that would last longer than spring training. But hopefully these guys will get used to everything and that we won't see any violations at all in the regular season. <laughs> because the batter can get in trouble and the pitcher can get in trouble. So trouble meaning a ball would go in the batter's favor if the pitcher didn't pitch on time, and a strike would go in the pitcher's favor if the batter didn't get back into the box on time. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Garrett Cole said the challenge of facing a lineup stacked with the likes of Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and Anthony Rizzo provided a good barometer for the Yankees' aces' first competition of the spring. He said you're just trying not to get one back up through the box. There's a little bit of elevated awareness when those guys are up there. That's true. I wouldn't want to get hit by a ball by any of them, but I don't know. Giancarlo Stanton would scare the bejesus out of me if he was um, at bat. Yeah. Boone said that Garrett looked really sharp. It was good for those guys to get their pitch counts built up. It was another good step with Garrett leading off. Um, and Cole said, see, I love Cole. Cole... I like how he likes working with his fellow pitchers, likes talking about pitching. I just, I'm fascinated more by pitching than I am by hitting. And I, I believe I've said this before, even when I was writing more about baseball and getting a little more in depth in the performance side of baseball, I loved exploring pitchers and seeing their repertoire and seeing how their usage changed throughout a season. When I was writing for Beyond the Box Score, I think it was Chris Archer. I did a deep dive on him. And it was funny because I was trying to figure out why he was throwing one pitch one way and completely stopped throwing a different pitch. And at the end of the article, I came up with the fact that I couldn't figure it out. And I didn't want to hand it in because I was like, I didn't really come up with a solution to this and I couldn't figure out why this happened. But people actually liked the article and said, no, this is really, like, this is a good deep dive. You know, sometimes you don't come up with the answers. Oh my God, okay. So, <laughs> so yeah. I love talking about pitching. I love when pitchers love talking about pitching. And Cole said, I really like the way everybody looks. Seve looks fresh. He's got some wild horse characteristics to him right now. He's got a lot of horsepower right now. I thought his second inning was really good. He fired off four or five fastballs in a row to Giancarlo, and I felt like he got better from there. And Carlos looks really good, especially from the feedback from everyone else. He's just settling into his velocity, and his stuff looks really good. I'm excited about Carlos Rodon. I'm, I'm excited to watch him pitch for the Yankees, because I've seen him pitch. I remember him you know, making the Yankees look really bad when he was on the White Sox, so I'm excited to see him on our side. DJ LeMayhew said about the pitching, just looking at our pitching on paper, I think it's the best it's been since I've been here. I think I said that last year, and I think it's even better this year. I'm really excited about this year and our team. I think the front office did a really good job getting the pieces we needed. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> so as I said, there was a AAA umpire calling balls and strikes behind the plate during their workout on Wednesday, and it was the intent was to help the pitchers and the hitters adjust to the new pitch timer. LeMahieu was flagged for a violation on the first pitch of his at bat, but otherwise it was seamless. 
Okay. Boone said, I'm thankful. For, I'm thankful for that, where he could really give a true ball strike count and work the mechanics of the clock, allowing people to ask questions in real time as stuff is happening. And Boone said he's been drumming the rule changes into the hitters heads early in camp, believing that the early returns have been a success. So Boone said, for example, Riz tends to look down even when he's kind of ready, even when he's getting set. So knowing when he's got to be attentive, those kinds of questions that pop up are nice. So far, I think our guys are definitely aware of it. Our pitchers are aware of it. There's probably a handful of pitches where they feel a bit rushed, but I feel like they're doing a really good job taking ownership of it. So, all right. I like the fact that Boone is uh, basically like, okay, you guys got to get this together and not screw up. And again, there's a month and a week until opening day, so they have plenty of time to practice this. Michael King threw two, uh, I was going to say two scoreless innings, two innings against live competition yesterday. It was his third time facing pitchers since recovering from his fractured right elbow. He expects to have plenty of time to be ready for opening day. And he said that an aggressive off-season program swelled his confidence. He said, two weeks before I started throwing, I was begging to get back out there to throw. I knew that I was ready to go. I definitely had the bad days where I had no range of motion and was like, am I ever going to get this back? All the physical trainers were like, it'll come. He said, my first day of throwing, I was throwing a lacrosse ball at the bottom of a wall, getting yelled at by the training staff because I wasn't allowed to do that. But just doing those random things made it so I knew I'd be fine coming back. That's a big, that's a big thing, Michael King coming back, really. Um. I'm excited about that because I said it on the show last week that he was a big loss. He was a very big loss to the bullpen and to the team overall. Um, same with DJ LeMayhew in the lineup, but Michael King was really, that was devastating. The fact that he's back and that he didn't need to have the kind of surgery that you fear the most when you see a pitcher throw a pitch and his arm goes limp because that was really frightening when it happened. And the fact that it was just, I don't want to say it was just a fracture, but it was just a fracture and he didn't have to have that surgery that we all dread. So yeah, this is a good thing. And I'm very excited for Michael King coming back and, you know, hopefully he'll be okay. And, you know, even if he's not back in time for opening day, like maybe if he misses like the first two weeks, but he comes back, that'll be fine too. And Anthony Volpe, he's trying to make the most of a cool opportunity. <laughs> um, my favorite thing about this, Anthony Volpe was excited to meet and talk to Willie Randolph. I love that. This kid gets it. This kid understands what it means to be a Yankee. And I know that's so obnoxious of me to say, but I can't help it. It's true. Willie Randolph, captain, played forever. And I just love that this young kid who was born, when was Anthony Volpe born? <laughs> I mean, he's young and he knows Willie Randolph and he gets it. He gets it. So I'm very excited about that. And that's part of the reason why the Yankees were holding on to him and Peraza so tightly. I know everyone is kind of meh on the prospect hugging, but I kind of feel like Volpe and Peraza can be the real deal finally. And uh, that the Yankees finally didn't make a bad decision keeping these guys back. 
Volpe said, hopefully the day does come that I get to play for the Yankees, but the work isn't even close to stopping there. There's a lot of things that I want to accomplish, like being able to play and help them win a World Series. I feel like I couldn't be in a better organization to help do that. So in a moment, my brother emailed Rob Manfred and told him about his ideas for realignment and expansion, if I'm not mistaken. I'll, I'll let you know in a second. But first... So, so when my brother told me he emailed Rob Manfred, I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, he emailed me back. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. But he did. I saw it. Because my brother forwarded it to me. And I could, I just, I laughed. I thought it was really funny. So my brother emailed and said, Dear Commissioner Manfred, I really liked the proposed proposed format for the 100 game 2020 season that didn't happen it should be the format until the stadium situations in oakland and tampa are resolved the mercy rule is something that wouldn't be used all that often and it wouldn't reduce the length of game the latter may not be a bad thing by the way i've been a little league high school and travel baseball umpire since 2010 so i've dealt with the mercy rule for quite some time now It could be, he's talking about the mercy rule. It could be a beautiful thing. <laughs> and just think about what teams do when they're down by that many. MLB keeps changing the rule about when position players can actually pitch. And most, most teams don't want to do that. I also have a proposal with expansion relocated teams involved. So this is what my brother wants to see in Major League Baseball through the 2027 season. And I think, does he have the expansion teams here yet? No. I think 2028 is when he has them, right? Okay. He has it as the East, Central, and West. So the Orioles, the Red Sox, the Marlins, the Mets, Yankees, Phillies, Pirates, Rays, Blue Jays, Washington Nationals. Central, Braves, Cubs, White Sox, Reds, Guardians, Tigers, Royals, Brewers, Twins, Cardinals. West, Diamondbacks, Rockies, Astros, Angels, Dodgers, Athletics, Padres, Giants, Mariners, Texas Rangers. The regular season would be 162 games, 102 verse 9, verse, <laughs> 102 against nine division opponents, extra three-game series with a natural rival, 60 games, three-game series against the rest of the league, uh, ghost runner at second base and extra innings. My brother likes that rule. I don't like that rule. Mercy rule. 15 runs after 5, 12 after 6, 10 after 7, 8 after 8. So if a team is up by 15 runs in the fifth inning, just end the game. <laughs> but again, that comes from him being an umpire. Playoffs, 12-team tournament, 3-game wildcard series, 5-game division series, 7-game championship series, and World Series. Teams are reseeded after each round. And then in 2028, he has expansion teams. And he has a returning team. Okay. So the East would be the Red Sox, Montreal Expos, New York Mets, Yankees, Phillies, Pirates, Blue Jays, Nationals, South. This is fun. Braves, Orioles, Houston Astros, Kansas City Royals, Marlins, the Nashville Stars, St. Louis Cardinals, Texas Rangers, the Central Cubs, White Sox, Reds, Guardians, Rockies, Tigers, Brewers, Twins, and then the West would be Diamondbacks, the Las Vegas Athletics, 
uh, the Angels, Dodgers, and then an expansion team, Portland Beavers, <laughs> San Diego Padres, San Francisco Giants, and Seattle Mariners. Now for 2028, 162 games, 84 games against seven division opponents, 12 games against each, six games against two random opponents from the same division, 72 games against the rest of the league, 24 teams, ghost runner at second base in extra innings, and then the mercy rule again, 15 runs after five, 12 after six, 10 after seven, eight after eight, 12 team tournament, Again, three-game wildcard series, five-game division series, seven-game championship series, and World Series, and teams are reseeded after each round. And then he came up with different divisions if they didn't want to get rid of the leagues. So the American League would be East, Orioles, Red Sox, Expos, Yankees. Central would be Astros, Royals, Twins, Rangers. North... White Sox, Guardians, Tigers, Blue Jays. West would be Las Vegas Athletics, the Angels, the Portland Beavers, and Seattle Mariners. And then the National League would be East, Mets, Phillies, Pirates, Nationals, Central, Braves, Marlins, the Nashville Stars, St. Louis Cardinals. North would be Cubs, Reds, Rockies, Brewers. And then the West would be Diamondbacks, Dodgers, Padres, Giants. 162 games, 54 against three division opponents, 18 against each, 60 games, four-game series versus the rest of your league, 15 teams, 48 games, three-game series against other league teams, and then the Ghost Runner and the Mercy Rule. And the playoffs here would be a 14-team tournament with seven in each league, three-game wildcard series, seven division, uh, five divisions, seven championship series, World Series, and then the teams are reseeded after each round. To which Mr. Manfred said, thanks for the thoughtful, well-informed, and long-term input. He sent it at 6.59 a.m. <laughs> My brother has had this idea for, he really wants to get rid of National League, American League. And at this point, it's kind of, why don't they? It's not like one team, oh, one team, one league has the DH and the other has pitchers batting. It's all the same now, so... It wouldn't be that big a deal. And I kind of like the idea of the Red Sox, Yankees, Phillies, Mets, like all those teams being in the same division. That could be kind of cool. I also like the idea of the Expos coming back. That would be even better. And, you know, expansion, other teams, Portland, Nashville, that's kind of cool. So let me know in the comments on YouTube. And, you know, if you tweet, let us know what you think of that idea for the future. The Mercy Rule is interesting, huh? I mean, you don't really see many teams go up by 15 after 5, but if it does happen, I mean, no team's going to come back from that, right? No. I feel like 5 is early enough for a mercy rule to be in effect. Because you wouldn't want it to start in, like, the third inning. Cause that would... <laughs> yeah. Because 5 is a full game, right? Yeah, so that makes sense. So let me know what you think about that. So what have we learned today? We've learned that arbitration is interesting and it seems like the owners uh are favored in arbitration and that I, I agree with ryan thompson in his reasoning that the arbitration decision should be made public like why they made the decision as to why he wasn't worth that extra 
$200,000. Um, did I say $2 million before? $200,000 is what the Rays were squabbling over. Unbelievable. Nestor Cortez feels better than expected. Garrett Cole likes the way the rest of the pitchers look. And so does DJ LeMahieu. Anthony Volpe is excited about a cool opportunity being with the Yankees. Michael King feels good. Jonathan Lewisica going into the WBC. Aaron Boone is fine with it. And you all should be too. Because again, it's the first year that Team Nicaragua is in. Good for him. He gets to represent his country. That's always a good thing. And, uh, oh yeah. So, new host coming next week. I don't want to reveal it yet. I don't want to reveal it yet. I don't want to reveal his name yet. I want to make it, I want to keep teasing this. But new schedule for next week, because now that I have a co-host, we're going to be recording shows the night before, and they'll be released early in the morning. So we're recording on Sunday for Monday. And of course, if anything breaking happens, you know, we'll jump on or I'll jump on if he can't jump on and report on anything that happens. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about this and uh, you should be too, because it's going to be a lot of fun and it's just in time for everything to start. First spring training game is this weekend, so we'll get to talk about that next week and things will get more exciting. So that's it for this episode of Locked On Yankees, which is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Remember, you can listen to us on every podcasting platform available. You can watch and subscribe to us on YouTube. Again, hit the thumbs up button and comment on YouTube as well. Click the bell so you know when our videos go up. And thank you for making Locked On Yankees your first listen every day. Make your second listen Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. So enjoy your Thursday, and I will talk to you tomorrow.